Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Bullock and Smetty here. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is it doesn't matter. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty. I'm Mike Golick Sr. This is Jess Matana, who is Smetty or Jess or Jessica, however you want to go. You have way more nicknames than I do. You always do. But so I, I just go by one of the three, even though Smetty's in the title. Well, you do have a catchier name than I do. People know how to say it, you know? Yeah, although I get Golick every now and then. But, uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's the most uh, misrepresented of them all. But it, it's not too bad. So... We have uh, we, we appreciate everybody that's been been listening. And quite honestly, I can't wait till this is going to be video as well, because I've told everybody, Smetty, what a great baker of great baked goods you are. And we're going to do shows where we're actually making them together because I love to bake. You're a better baker than I am. And I love to eat. So the visual of you baking and me eating, I think, will be a wonderful thing. How do you know that, though? Like, I could be just a, a terrible baker who makes things that look good. Well, listen, you know, it's kind of like when you say something with conviction, uh, people tend to believe it more. That's how I live my 20 plus years on the air. It's like, how did you know so much? I just say it, it, it's, it's bullshit with conviction. I just sound, I try and sound like I know what I'm talking about. The presentation of your baked goods makes me go, I go nuts. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh my God, why is she on the other side of the country? And I can't try any of this. Do you bring your baked goods into Lebetard and Stu and the whole crew all the time? And they have to go nuts for it. They do. They get really excited. They actually get mad at me sometimes because they're like, you need to stop bringing in so many buttery, sugary, delicious treats on Mondays. Like they all, they all try to like start their Mondays off, right? Have a nice solid breakfast. And then I come in with like s'mores blondies oh, at eight oh, and they can't control themselves. Yeah. I, I did enjoy that for a while while I was at ESPN. Christine Lisi, who did the updates on ESPN radio is like you, you two are like the same, just ungodly desserts and bakery items that she would bake and bring in. So it was I, I absolutely loved it, and this is going to happen every now and then. We're going to we're going to talk about food first. We got a lot to get into, um, with uh, obviously March Madness and, and the NFL F one again. I'm I'm hooked on it now. You've been hooked on it. Um, my uh, Mike, my son Mike has been has been devouring. Um, what is it? Drive to survive. Drive I need to, to jump survive, in on yeah. that. Yeah, I got to jump in on that. So there's a lot of sports to get to. The uh, owners in the NFL just made a decision uh, that we'll chat about as well that I, I think a lot of people will be happy with. But 
We've been talking about baking and, and how great Jess is at it, but also we're in the time of year where Easter is coming up. So not only am I paying for a monster wedding for my daughter the day before <laughs> Easter, and I can't wait till that last bill is, play, is paid, everywhere in the stores, it's Easter candy is out everywhere. And Jess, you and my son, Mike, Mike goes on a rant about this every year he would do it. And I saw you on Twitter and Instagram about it as well. Tell everybody about what, what it is that, that you love this, that I can't stand. It's peeps, Mike. Oh. It's, it's peeps season. God. And it's not it's not really just peeps because now no, peeps, no. peeps are its own like food category. But Easter candy in general, I think, is the best seasonal candy uh, time of year. Like, I think Halloween candy is way below Easter candy. Really? In, in the can oh, absolutely. Now, now, it's not now, even close. Really? Now, Halloween, there's a lot more variety. Easter candy gets pretty specific. You know, with the eggs, a lot of things are the peanut butter eggs or the Cadbury eggs or the chocolate bunnies. I like the the um, the solid chocolate bunnies. I like the white chocolate solid bunnies, by the way, uh, not the hollow ones. I, I was pretty. But but Halloween candy, there's a diversity to that, that that I really dig. You get a lot of different candies. You, you think Easter's better. I think Easter candy is better than the actual like holiday of Easter itself. Like I just think everything it's spring, it's colorful. There's little bunnies, there's like little chickens. It's just adorable and it all is amazing. So Mike, I texted you the other day because I was in Target and I have found that the peep variety has gotten so out of control because I, I the the demand for peeps must be skyrocketing right now. That's unreal. They must have they must have done really well during the pandemic because now there's like 50 different flavors of peeps. Yeah. So I found one flavor of peeps that are hot tamale, fierce cinnamon peeps. And I told you to buy them so that we could both taste test them for the first time on air, even though you hate peeps. And I did. And, and it has to be known, I hate peeps. Now, now you have, I, I didn't even realize all the flavors out there. My wife, when she bought these, these hot tamale peeps, which sounds disgusting, by the way, um, she also bought regular yellow peeps that were dipped in chocolate. I am delicious. a chocolate freak. So I did eat those and I endured the nasty peep texture and taste for the chocolate. Um, the best thing about peeps is putting them in the microwave and explode them in there. The only <laughs> problem is you then have to clean the microwave, which so sucks. The, the best part is watching them die. Got That's it. exactly right. right. Yeah. I, I'm going to open my peeps now. All right. I, I open my peeps it, it, and it's, it, it's, it's kind of the color of a, of a hot tamale. Um, again, hot tamales, fierce cinnamon. I, I like cinnamon. Ooh, wait, smell that. It smells like the hot, like oh. the gum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It smells like you're just going to be eating cinnamon gum. Yeah, I, I hope so. Okay, ready? Let's, Let's do count it. Count to three. Ready? All right. One, two, three. I always make the mistake of taking too big a bite. I put the whole peep in my mouth. <laughs> You one bite at a peep? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. I don't even, it almost doesn't even taste like a hot tamale to me. It, it smells more like a hot tamale yeah. than it tastes like a hot tamale. It's, it's basically. It's not bad. It's basically did a cinnamon. a second one? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's basically a cinnamon marshmallow, right? I think it's good. It reminds me of the of the gum. My gra I grew up, my grandma used to just house cinnamon flavored gum like she'd have 
50 sticks in her purse. She'd be chewing them all day long. I grew up on that shit. Most people's grandmas have like the weird like Werther's. Yeah. Oh, my grandma did. And it would burn your tongue. Like your taste buds would go numb from this. But you kept eating it, didn't you? Oh my God. Yes. It it really reminds me of that. It's, it's, I think it was pretty good. That, that's a great, I loved it. We should, we should do this one time and hear from everybody. What, what was the thing at grandma's house when you went over there? Cause grandma always had something. Always. She always had something, whether it was cookies, some kind of food or, or cinnamon gum. Grandma's always had something. Yeah, I think my grandma lived off of like Asiago cheese and cinnamon gum for like the last fifty years of her life. It's it's a it's a weird oh flavor my combination. God, that right? is a that's a oh she's that's, a savage. Yeah, yeah, that is unbelievable. I okay. thought it was good though. That you know this was not bad. I was expecting much worse. The name is worse than the taste. <laughs> I will say Fair that. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, do you remember since you're way closer to the age when this happened than I am? Again, uh, I graduated Notre Dame in 1985, and Smetty graduated Notre Dame in 2016. <laughs> so, again, she went to school with my daughter. They were in the same uh, few classes. What a, Do you remember when you stopped with the Easter egg hunts growing Ooh, up? That's a good question. No, I don't remember. But that's, I, that's, that's decades ago for me, so I definitely don't remember. <laughs> I loved the East, I loved uh, the little Easter basket because it was just always egg-flavored chocolate. Maybe that's why I have such a, a positive association with Easter candy because I would just remember waking up on Easter and being like, oh my God, there's chocolate everywhere. We still, still to this day, we will color Easter eggs. Really? Yes, yes. Wow, I now, haven't done that in a while. Now, some of the designs we put on them maybe aren't, you know, rated the best. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> my, my kids are a little off the wall now, so it's, it's not the nicest thing in the world. They kind of miss the point of it now and just <laughs> try and be as disgusting as they can. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, we still color eggs. We still kind of get into that. That's cute. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of fun. All right, so that was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I, I, that's pro- I'm not going to lie. Jess, that's probably the best tasting peep I've ever had. Really? Wow. Because of the, I'm a big time cinnamon guy. So because of the cinnamon, so I would say everybody out there, don't let hot tamale scare you away. There was, to, to me, you can agree or disagree, there was no hot tamale taste at all. I agree. I think, I think you shouldn't let, uh, you shouldn't judge a peep by its cover. There you go. Well done. All right, onward we move. Let's move on to the sports. We've got a few things to talk about. We might as well start with the, uh, you know, the, the, the hot thing going on. That's the NCAA tournament that's happening right now. And the men's side and women's side, we're down to the final four. First, in any one of your brackets, are you still doing well or have you been destroyed? The only bracket that I'm doing well in is the one that I have for the women's tournament because I had the three one seeds that made it right. I had and then my other in the UConn bracket, because UConn won last night against NC State, I had Notre Dame beating UConn, which, I mean, they, they almost got to that game. It was it was tough on Saturday watching Notre Dame lose to NC State in the final second. And then NC State and UConn went into double overtime. I think probably the most exciting game of either tournament so far was the double overtime NC State-UConn game. I agree. I agree. So first on the Notre Dame-North Carolina State games in Bridgeport, um, by the way, UConn, I mean – home games but listen when you win 11 titles you know you're going to get some things going your way I guess so so I know my, my both my sons Mike and Jake went to that game and I mean the the one thing 
Jake texts me at the end was, Notre Dame ends it the way Notre Dame ends their things. Just, just a, you just kind of shake your head and go, damn. You know, it's just a, it was a tough ending to the North Carolina State game. I thought they were going to pull that one out, but they didn't. They almost beat the one seed, but they did not. And then I agree with you. That shot, what's her, her name? I know her name is not Clutchfield, but that's what they call her, right? So, so Kai Crutchfield, whose nickname is Clutchfield for NC yeah. State, hit a clutch three with oh three minutes God. to go. And then there was another almost buzzer-beating three-pointer by Jakia Brown-Turner to go into overtime. And then the first overtime ends in a tie, so they go into the second overtime. In the meantime, like these UConn players are not missing shots. Paige no. Beckers, I think... I think she only missed one shot in the entire second half and both overtimes. I need to go back and check that stat. But like every time she had the ball in her hands, I'm like, Oh, it's going in. Like why even shoot the ball? Just give them, give them the points. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 you got to give them credit. They finished strong. So they, they got it done on their side. So it'll be them against Stanford and then South Carolina against Louisville on the other side. And we'll see who meets in the finals there. Who, who'd you pick for champion? South Carolina. I, yeah, South I Carolina too. has been dominant, and I think Aaliyah Boston is, is the best uh, women's player in the country right now. So I think they still have a, sh- a shot at uh, – I, I don't know if UConn is now the favorite because they've gotten hot since, uh, you know, the second half of the season. Some of their players were injured, and Paige Beckers was injured. They came back. They've been the hot team now, and so I, I don't know if they'll be the favorite if they win uh, the semifinal, but I think I think a, I think a UConn-South Carolina final would be pretty exciting. What, one of my most fun – um, moments in life was had to do with South Carolina, the women's uh, South Carolina team. They played Notre Dame years ago in a Final Four, and Darius Rucker, who went to South Carolina, and I had a bet. And if South Carolina won, Darius would host um, Mike and Mike. He would come on. He would host, you know, all the the, the, the entire show. And if South, if Notre Dame won, I got to sing at Darius's concert. <laughs> And Notre Dame won. So not only did I get to sing, but Darius had to sing the fight song there. So we got there, and it's in Indiana somewhere. There's like 25,000 people there, and I'm going to sing. He said one thing, you can't sing any of my songs. I'm like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) What did you sing? I um, I sang Take It Easy by the Eagles. I had to pick something that didn't have a high range because I love karaoke, but I can't really go up too high. And he's like, no, that's cool. He said that that's when we were younger, when I was younger, that's something that we covered, you know, a lot. So I'm backstage before and I'm, I'm trying to drink to the point of not getting too drunk, but just getting buzzed enough where I'm not going to have any fear about, you know, I, I know I played in front of 80,000, 100,000 people, but this was me standing alone with a microphone singing a song. And I remember one of the guys in Darius's band came up to me and he said, what, what, what note are you, or what, what note, yeah, what note are you singing in? Or what, are you singing in G or something like that? I, I screamed across the room. I said, Darius, what the fuck? I said, what, what am I saying? He said, just sing like it's on the radio. I said, okay, that's all I'm going to do. I said, they're going to play like it's a ra- you hear it on the radio and sing. And Jess, I had a ball. I killed it. It was so much fun. First, Darius had to put on a Notre Dame uh, women, uh, Notre Dame jersey and sing the fight song, and then I sang that. So, so because of that, I have a hold a special place in my heart for South Carolina. That's my roundabout way of saying I hope they win it all. That's awesome. I think the the odds right now on DraftKings are South Carolina minus one fifty, UConn plus 
240. So they are the second favorite on right. DraftKings. Stanford plus 360 and then Louisville plus 1,000. Well, I, 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 you know, it's always tough to count out UConn, even though they were, you know, not, not one of the top seeds this year, uh, which was somewhat shocking, but tough to count them out. But uh, let, let's see what happens in that one. Over on the men's side, were you rooting for St. Peter's? I was. I love, I love an underdog. I mean, I know that you like, you like seeing blue bloods in the final four, but once they beat Purdue, I was like, all right, they're going to make a run for it. I want them to go all the way. You know, like, why stop now? Let's just see how far we can take this thing. So I was, I was a little bit bummed when they lost. To North so Carolina. I guess, and, and you know what? I would not have minded had they won. I really would not have uh, at all. Um, but, but see, then I guess it goes to what, what, what if St. Peter somehow won the whole thing? What, in all honesty, what do you think that would mean for the tournament? Would people say this tournament doesn't mean anything? This is just one team that got hot for six games and and went through all the blue bloods and beat them? Or would it, we would we? I think it would be unbelievable. But but I think most people are like, nice story, but now give me the blue bloods. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think a lot of people would like to see a smaller school or a mid-major win the tournament because then, you know, they get paid out and they get to they get a lot of money for that. And a lot of schools, I think there are more more smaller schools and mid-major schools than there are blue blood schools. Although I think the blue bloods have you know disproportionately larger fan bases because they get so many people to come on the bandwagon. Right, right. But I, I think it would be interesting. I think I think there would be a lot of people who would be happy to see that and and think, okay, that that might be my team one day. Like, this is why I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of like St. Bonaventure or you know St. John's or one of these other schools that hasn't hasn't made it that far. So who's left here? It's Duke going up against Carolina. We got the the ACC matchup there in Villanova. I, I can't believe they. I can't believe Duke and Carolina have never, never played met. before in the tournament. That's Is that crazy. stunning? I, I I'm absolutely stunned by that. Uh, and then Villanova against Kansas. And I'm I, I got to imagine unless you just desperately hate Duke, which means you're a North Carolina fan. I I got to believe with nobody with a horse in the race anymore would love to see Coach K go out on top, right? To his last year coaching, that he I don't had, know to, about that. You don't I know? Think, are you a are you a Duke hater or are you well, Duke well, agnostic? I, I, agnostic? I, I, I'm not. I'm not either way on Duke. I'm how not. How is I, that even possible? It's it, you have to pick a side. No, I, I think that's how people are on Notre Dame sometimes, and now people are going to say, "Oh, go look, you elitist, you Notre Dame elitist." But I, I just I always want Notre Dame to win, and if Notre Dame's not going to win, it I I really don't root one way or the other over Duke. I, look, I, I guess I'll put it this way. I think Coach K is incredible. I think he's one of the more respected coaches. And remember, he's coached, for those that don't know, he's coached Olympic teams. So he's coached the NBA guys as well and had opportunities to go coach in the NBA and didn't want to do it. I think he's one of the most respected guys around. So I'm kind of more than rooting for Duke. It's just kind of a, an incredible you know, ending to the story to have him win another championship. No, but you're you, right. You don't want that, do you? I will admit right now that my biggest personality trait is how big of a hater I am of pretty much every team except the teams that I love. So I am a Duke hater. I, I guess it's not true because I, I do I am neutral on some teams. Like North Carolina basketball, very neutral on that. I'd be happy for them if they won. But, yeah, I, I hate Duke. I mean, I feel like a lot more do. people hate Duke than love Duke. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. I just thought about the rivalry of Duke, North Carolina. Why, why do you hate them? That's a great question. Because they're good? I think, I think that's all that there is to it. 
Huh. So you hate you hate the top of the mountain team, basically. I hate right? Alabama. I mean. Well, we have a, yeah, I mean, yeah, I have a special reason why I hate them. <laughs> you know, sitting through that direct back in 2013. Yeah, okay, all right, I could see that. I could see that. And that's how it usually is, right? A team climbs to the top and then they have a lot of success at the top. Then all of a sudden everybody wants to see them knocked off. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think you're starting to see that with with UConn too. I think there was a oh yeah know, a, a large contingent of angry NC State fans, but also I saw people who weren't even ACC or NC State fans. Like, why was why did UConn get to play this game at home? That's not fair. Like, screw UConn. They always get this. They always get that. They always get to win. Like, that's it's not fair for the rest of us. And and that's something that I you know once once you win a lot, people start coming for you. So I actually so to your point there because ESPN is in Connecticut and I was we were there for over twenty years. We did take special joy in hating UConn because we were Notre Dame. You know, and Gino and Muffet had that back and forth all the time. So my kids would always always go to school in Notre Dame stuff. Always talk about hating UConn, you know. It was uh it, we 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 loved it that they would uh, that they would do that. So I guess how you feel about Duke that's, that's probably the way I feel about UConn. Did you ever find that the people that you worked with at ESPN were were also UConn fans too and and you could see like some of that ESPN UConn connection like seep into your coverage cuz that's yeah. something you know Kate Fagan and I have talked about a lot and how how convenient it is for ESPN and and you kind of be so close together and them getting so much you know coverage and it also happens because they're really good but I, I wonder what your experience is with that well you know and I know Muffet talked about that right I mean with with it was oh with, yeah with and oh Gino I mean, was not happy oh not happy listen though it's just it's not like it's a secret those two don't get along you know at all I'm sure he wasn't happy. Basically, Muffet saying ESPN kind of made UConn. Listen, and I love Muffet, respect the hell out of her, but winning 11 titles is going to get you a lot of coverage. I mean, you, you know how it is you know, at, at ESPN. When we were doing our show, you cover the big stories, the winning teams. And when it came to women's basketball, it was UConn. Before that, it was Pat Summit and Tennessee. That's the way it was. And it was when, you know, with the women's game has gotten more equal, has gotten more parody but back when I was early on doing the show it was Tennessee and then it was UConn and it was top heavy that way so they did get talked about all the time so I'm not really sure if ESPN made UConn but I I mean you talked about the winners like we talk about Alabama you know all the time in football and then there are just some teams that you talk about because they're always top of mind the Yankees the Cowboys, Notre Dame, they're always going to be kind of buzz teams that you talk about, both from the people who love it and people who hate it. Well, I'm going to I'm going to plug my podcast with Kate Fagan because we we went into this for for a few episodes of our first season. It's called Off the Looking Glass. Um, we asked, you know, Brianna Stewart. We asked Renee Montgomery. We asked uh, Simone Augustus. We talked to a lot of players. We did a little, you know, investigation on it. We talked to Muffin McGraw. Um, I guess our, our argument's a little bit more nuanced than like ESPN made UConn. So I encourage people, if you're interested in it, you should listen to Off the Looking Glass because Kate Kate is a basketball expert and she uh, she lays everything out very much more intelligently than I can. I love Kate. Uh, love Kate. I think she's great. Um, you know, heard I've never been invited on the podcast, but that's okay. I'll get over it somehow, some way. It's all right. <laughs> Don't worry. Tell her I'm fine. Now you sound like Stu Gatz. Okay, that's about right. Okay, before we move on to sports, let's do a non-sports interlude here because, wow, <laughs> wow. Will Smith 
smacking the shit out of Chris Rock at the Oscars? What was that? So, so I, I'm sure everybody saw it, or if you didn't, you saw it on Twitter. Chris Rock made a joke about Will's right, wife, Jada, uh, who is, is bald now, and she has, uh, it's alopecia, correct? Alopecia, uh, yeah. Where it makes, can make your hair fall out, so she is bald. And Chris Rock made a joke about G.I. Jane 2 coming out. Demi Moore and G.I. Jane had her head shaved. So, and, and, and it looked like Chris Rock or, or Will Smith was laughing at first, and then looked over and saw that, you know, Jada wasn't real happy. So if, if you haven't seen it, I don't know how you haven't. Will Smith walked on stage, slapped Chris across the face and basically said, you know, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth is what he said twice. So when you saw it, whether live or on Twitter, what was your what was your first reaction? My reaction initially was like, I, I need to Google G.I. Jane because I don't even know what this movie is about. So Oh, I, well, that's right. I, I forgot you you maybe wouldn't have known that. Wow. 1997 Demi Moore film. So, I mean, I remember Demi Moore because she dated Ashton Kutcher, but like there's not a whole <laughs> lot I know about Demi Moore. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a it was a judgment lapse, I think, from Will Smith. He's apologized for it. I think what was more fun to me than than like seeing that all happen because i thought that that was it was kind of sad to watch him yes. get up there and kind of ruin his own night and it was just it was just sad but what's funny was the reaction to people acting like it was the the worst thing that's ever happened in the world and and clutching their pearls um it was bad it was a bad look you should never slap people you should never go on stage at the oscars and slap chris rock specifically it's a bad look <laughs> it ruined his own night he ended up having this like really awkward speech after winning his first oscar um people only are talking about that moment now and not about king richard the movie that he was in or about yep. you know venus and serena williams who were you know the part of the that movie their executive produced it they signed on to it it's a story about their father's life and their upbringing um, so yeah, it was just, uh, it was a crazy night. I, and I don't really watch, do you watch the Academy Awards ever? Cause I uh, don't. Rarely. I, I used to watch it more, quite honestly, Sid and Chris will have on the red carpet show. And then by the time we get to the actual show itself, we usually watch the opening, you know, monologue, which, which I kind of enjoyed. It was Wanda Sykes, Regina King and Amy Schumer. I thought they were, I thought they were actually pretty funny. I, I liked the three of them. I thought they did a good job, but I haven't watched those shows in a while. Listen, I thought what Will Smith did was ridiculous. Again, as you said, the worst thing in the world, absolutely not. It was a bad look for him. It was a bad look for the night. It was a bad look for the fact that what that, what that show meant. And then he goes up later after winning Best Actor, his speech. I don't know where the hell that came from. At one point, I was like, easy, dude, you're an actor, okay? You're, you're, you're an actor. Let's, let's ease up with the, with the world, okay? Um, yeah, it was, it was a bad look, and I know since he's apologized. He didn't apologize to Chris in his speech. He apologized to the, to the Williams family and, and to the Academy. He did after that uh, to, to Chris Rock. Yeah, it was just a bad look all the way around. I thought it was pretty cool, though, that Coda – uh, one best picture opened on DK Sportsbook at plus two thousand, but it moved to plus a hundred on the day of and won. Wow. So uh, that that was that was really 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 pretty cool. And Will Will Smith was like, what was he minus eight hundred? I think to win best actor, and I think everybody thought he was going to win that just like he did. 
But like, Mike, I'm totally going to watch the Academy Awards next year, right? Because now, like, I, I was watching it live the year that they accidentally named the wrong Best Picture winner. Yes. And that watching that live was amazing because I was like, what is going on? How does this happen? How do you fuck this up that bad? And I figured nothing even close to that would ever compare. But then this happened. And now I'm like, huh. There's a little something to watch in live television where there's a there's an air of the unexpected, even when you get a bunch of these, you know, uh, extremely successful celebrities in a room, something unexpected might happen. So I, I tweeted right after that happened. I said the next 15 minutes are going to be the most highly rated <laughs> of the Oscars because for the many because the ratings don't do well anymore. But for anybody who saw that on because so, it was all over social media, I guarantee you they then tuned in or most of them then tuned in and then realized, oh my God, they still have the best actor to pick and it's probably going to be Will Smith and he's going to have to walk back up there again and give his speech. So I thought it was pretty crazy, but yeah, those shows, those shows just don't, the Grammys, Oscars, they have so many of them now. They just don't do it for me anymore. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather watch sports. I was actually watching the, the Stanford-Texas game during that, which was also a really good game. Yeah, but I, I think was. definitely got uh, overshadowed by Will Smith uh, slapping Chris Rock in the face. There is absolutely no doubt about that. So, all right, so we're going to move on to a little bit of NFL talk. Then we're going to have Clark Kellogg on from CBS to, to kind of break down not just the Final Four, but the entire tournament uh, as he sees it. And also, if you don't know, you're going to learn something about Clark and Mai's relationship decades ago. Uh, I've known Clark for a long, long time, and you'll, you'll, you'll find out why. Uh, but in the NFL, I think the big news, you know, we have Tyreek Hill to Miami, but what came out even after that, Jess, was, and, and we saw it in the postseason, whenever we see overtime and only one team gets possession, they drive the ball down, they score a touchdown, and the game's over, everybody bitches and moans saying, why don't they both have a possession in the postseason? Well, the NFL owners have approved a modified proposal for overtime that will guarantee each team a possession, but only in the postseason. So either the owners got tired of it, they felt enough of the fans wanted it, whatever the reason was, what do you think? Were you one of those that complained about it or did you not carry the way? I actually really like that they're just changing it for the postseason because I don't mind the rule as it is. Of course, like anytime you're watching your team not get a possession in overtime, you suddenly are like, this is super unfair, right? But um, I'm glad that they changed it just for the postseason so we can see how it works out uh, when it matters the most. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I liked Mike Tomlin's comments on it where he said, I don't fear sudden death. Um, I'm an advocate for sudden death. I thought that was funny. Um, but that's because he's a he's a coach of a team that has like a historically good defense, yeah, right? So right, you right. shouldn't really fear it because uh, if you trust your defense, you trust that they can make a stop or at least hold the other team to a field goal and then get the ball back. So I like it. I, I think it was a it was a smart move. You know, and I think you'll hear mostly defensive people say, Hey, stop them. You know, I was a defensive player and and that's the first thing I would say. I would say whether I like the rule or not. Your defense is out on the field. You have the ability to stop the offense. Stop them if you don't want the game to be over in one drive. But I think overall that people love scoring and love offense, right? That's where the NFL has geared itself. And when all of a sudden there's Kansas City and Buffalo in overtime and Kansas City goes down to score and Josh Allen doesn't get a chance to get on the field, everybody's like, shit, what the hell? You know, give the guy – this is one of the great quarterbacks in the league. Give him a chance. So I think – 
because we're so offensive-minded, Jess, I think this is one of the reasons that th- this this rule got tweaked the way it did. Absolutely. What were the overtime rules like when you played? Shit, that's a great question. I finished in <laughs> – my last year was in 93. Um, I got to imagine they were what, what, what they are. I the Watch me be wrong. Death. Somebody will look Somebody will look it up, and, and I'll be wrong about it. But I'll, uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. But uh, So they are going to go – Uh, to each offense having a possession again, but only in the playoffs. My favorite thing from the owners' meetings is the awkward head coach photo shoot. Photo shoot, yes. Has that always been a thing? Like, I I need to know the origin of that. Also, my favorite thing about it is, A, these people all look weird without hats and visors on. B, they all try to, like, dress nice, but they all have different versions of, like, what is nice. nice. And then B, C, I guess, there's always, like – a handful of new coaches and I, I squ- I'm like squinting at this like terrible iPhone picture. I'm like, who is that guy next to Mike McDaniel? Like who's the guy behind Andy Reed trying to like figure out who all these different people are. Cause they're all, you know, like assistants and stuff, but you don't really recognize them without all their football stuff on. So I- I'm wondering like, has that always been a thing or is that like a new thing within the last five years? That we oh, do that I think yeah, people break it down for sure. And I always wonder how do they set them up? Do they just all go out and kind of stand and then they get moved around? Is there an order? I haven't even looked enough to know if there's an order to it. No, AFC, no, NFC did nothing. No, there's no order. And like half of the tall people are in the front and half of like, you know, no one, I feel like in this group of people in particular, like no one wants to be like, oh, I'm short. I'll stand in front, you know? Right. Like they all kind of are like clustered in the middle. And so like some people's heads are just cut off. Like I think Brian Dabble's head in one of the pictures, like you just see the top of his like shiny head and you're like, okay, there's the... There's him. <laughs> See, and, and my thought on that is when you're taking a group picture, you know, everybody knows how to take a group picture. If you're shorter, get in front, okay? Just just do it, okay? You know, or, or you have to live with the embarrassment of the photographer saying, hey, shorty, move up front because we can't see you, okay? Everybody knows where they're supposed to stand in a group shot, you know? So just just get to that position, I would say. I would love if next year they all the front row does like a sorority squat in the in the front <laughs> hands on the knees because yeah that picture is always so awkward and it's so funny. Some of those guys can't bend down long enough to do a sorority squat. I don't think. Uh, how, how about a three point stance? Yeah, there you go. God, that would <laughs> test some stuff. The other big news in uh, in the NFL was Tyree Kill being traded from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins. Now again, the Chiefs, as Andy Reid said, listen, we had once. Devontae Adams signed for that 28 mil a year in 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 uh, Las Vegas, Oakland, in Las, for the Raiders. Tyreek Hill was going to say, say, I need to be the highest paid. And the Chiefs were willing to go to a certain amount and not anymore. Because remember, Pat Mahomes' deal kicks in now. It was an extension when Pat, uh, Pat Mahomes signed it. So he still had a couple years on his rookie deal. So now it's going to kick in. So it was going to be tough to afford that over $28 million to Tyree Kill. So they said they had a number and they couldn't go over it, and they didn't. And they ended up getting a lot in return for Tyree Kill. So now it's Hill and Waddle as wide receivers. Jaseki, who I like at tight end as well. The defense, I think, is better than what their statistics showed. I've heard some people say that Tua will now be a top 12 quarterback. I don't think I can go that far just yet. I mean, he needs to go out there and prove it, and these guys need to go out and get it done on the field. But it's a good get for a Miami team that went on a nice winning streak. 
it seemed after the Deshaun Watson trade to Miami Dolphins went by the wayside after the trade deadline, all of a sudden Tua could kind of settle down. They went on a nice winning streak and then, you know, not enough at the end, though. But it seems just like they're kind of on a, a team kind of ready to make that next step. And, I, and this would certainly be a nice, nice addition to do it. Yeah, I think um, being on a local Miami radio show, I I I spend a lot of my brain space thinking about the Dolphins when like they're not super nationally relevant. They went one and seven, I think, until the midway point in the season and then turned it around and eventually were somehow uh, jockeying for a playoff spot. But they're also like the second half of their season was against like pretty average or below average team. So yeah, I, I, I think this is definitely a, a great signing for Miami in terms of the type of player you're going to get on the field. Hill pleaded guilty to domestic assault when he was at Oklahoma State. He was dismissed from the football team. He also had uh, later then an investigation uh, for child abuse while he was with the Chiefs, fell in the NFL draft to the fifth round. So K- Kansas City was essentially able to turn a fifth round pick into a Super Bowl champion, had been really successful with him as a centerpiece of their offense with Pat Mahomes, and now is able to get a bunch of picks back for it. So I think it's one of those rare situations where it kind of works out for both teams, although I think more people are skeptical of how good Pat Mahomes is going to be now without his favorite you know, target on the field. Yeah, definitely going to change. He opened it up a lot for uh, uh, Travis Kelsey on, underneath and for others receivers as well. So we'll see. As you mentioned, a bunch of picks. It was five picks. And then he signed a new contract, four years, $120 million, $72.2 million guaranteed money. So we'll see what the Miami Dolphins can do with Tyreek Hill. All right, before we get to the NCAA tournament with our guest Clark Kellogg, Smetty, I, I, I'm in it. I, I like it. I'm watching it every week now. Um, F1, I mean, I'm, I'm digging it. Uh, it seems Verstappen and, Le, and Leclerc, I always want to say Leclerc, but it's Leclerc. They seem to be the guys right now. Um, that They were 1-2 this week. Ferrari was 2-3 after being 1-2 in the first week. But I, I'm getting more and more into this thing. This was in, what, Saudi Arabia and... And I'm just, I'm just find myself glued to the TV to watch it on Sunday mornings. Well, when you talk about like, you know, wanting to see Blue Bloods in March Madness, it makes sense that you'd be all aboard the Ferrari bandwagon right now, Mike, because Ferrari is essentially like if, you know, Notre Dame all of a sudden started winning national championships again after, after the long national championship drought Notre Dame's had, like Ferrari is you know, by all means, like Ferrari is F1. So yeah, it's, it's exciting to see them back. Um, and it's going to be a really fun season. Like the whole, the whole regulation shift that happened this year with the brand new cars was so that the, the car trailing could overtake the car in front of it better. And so far, like two races into the season, it seems like that's been the case with the lead changes like that. That doesn't happen a lot in F1. So you're, you're coming on board the F1 bandwagon at a good time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm digging it. You know, in in week one, it was because Red Bull, the two cars, had trouble that Lewis Hamilton got on the podium. He was nowhere near the podium this time around. You wonder where Mercedes is going to be in all this. I'm actually bummed. I think there's a week off now before they go to Australia. So, I mean, I guess it's going to take a bit to put all these cars and everything on the planes and get them down there. But uh, I'm so used to seeing it. I'm not I'm going to be kind of bummed when there's a week off on Sunday. <laughs> and yeah, they'll be they'll be back. Uh, they'll be in Miami, actually, the first week of May uh, in almost a little over a month. So pretty exciting for for me. I'll have a little F1 
here in my backyard. So I'm going to say this right now until it gets there. I want to try and bring my son-in-law, then will be my son-in-law, Ben, Ben Broniker, to that. I want me and him to go to that one in Miami. So maybe we can all go to it because uh, we would love, we've, I've never been to one. So I think we got to try and get that done. If you're paying for tickets, Mike, I am I am down. But uh, you you might get a little sticker shock when you look up at StubHub how much the tickets are going for right now. Already saw the price, and you'd be happy to know that that my what as as my daughter Sydney was saying, oh the, the oh I looked them up, they're expensive, and as my wife said, so what? <laughs> so <Hell> yeah, <laughs> there you go. So inc- include yourself in the ticket getting picked up. So we'll we'll get that all squared away. Awesome! I can't wait. Joining us now, listen, I could rattle off his his accomplishments. Uh, Clark Kellogg from CBS is going to join us right now. Also played with the Pacers for a number of years in the NBA and Ohio State in college. But the thing about Clark, and Clark did too many great things after high school to relive high school days. But I, I love, because Clark's been nice enough to come on my show a number of times over the years. I love reliving your high school days, Clark. I've always <laughs> said you were LeBron James before in high school, before LeBron James was LeBron James in high school with what you did. So I, I appreciate it, Clark. Smetty is here with us uh, as well, obviously. Colick and Smetty, appreciate you coming on. But I, I just, and you were two years ahead of me in high school, yeah. but, and I know you love, don't love reliving high school days, but man, I love reliving your high school days. <laughs> well, it's nice to go back every now and then. It's great to be with you, Mike. Always enjoy whenever I get a chance to to hang out with a fellow Viking and nice to be on with, with Jess as well. But yeah, there was, those were special times. And um, I loved everything about being a Clevelander, growing up on the east side of Cleveland, going to St. Joe's. Um, being able to have a really good career on the hardwood there got a great education not just in the classroom and on the court but just in life um, being a viking and going to school there so i have tremendous tremendous memories of those formative years and a lot of fun as we made a made a run for i think the first time in school's history i think we got to the state championship game i know there have been some other good teams and good players um, prior to that, but that was the first team that actually had a chance to win it. Uh, we came up short, but um, nothing but great memories and appreciation to a lot of folks. And, you know, I think back, I tell my kids, you know, they didn't get to see me play a ton. Um, and people have told them about my, my high school career and then on to college. Um, but that is a comparison that I've heard from some of my fans in Northeastern Ohio. You know, everybody has their their guy, right? Yeah. Everybody has their guy that they kind of look up to. And I was kind of that guy um, back in the late seventies for um, guys that were coming along with me or like you, a couple of few years behind me. Oh my God. I mean, listen, every place, Jess, every place he played that St. Joe's played that we go to was packed, whether it was St. Joe fans or the yeah. team we were playing fans or just people that wanted to watch him play. And, and I, I knew you wouldn't really remember the state title game because, again, when you go on and, and, and do the great things you did after, it's, it's, it's a memory years ago. Yes, you were in the, yes, they were in the state finals. They lost in the state finals 70-something to 60-something. But Clark scored 51 points and had 24 rebounds in that game. I mean, it was yeah. absurd how well he played, unfortunately, in the loss. Yeah, I do remember it, Mike. And that's the part I remember most is that um, we came up short, had a bad start, and then we made a run, but we just ran out of time. And it comes up every time, every year this time, because 
Um, that record still stands because it was a state championship game record. So kids only get a chance once a year. You've got to be in the championship game. So it's um, stood the test of time since 79. And man, it's um, it comes up, it comes around this time every year that um, that performance. And all I think about is that we didn't get to finish it off and win it. But you can be a champion without getting the championship. And that's how I try to look at it. We played hard. We carried ourselves well. And we just came up short. Were, was St. Peter's the big champion of this NCAA tournament, despite not winning the championship? Just clearly, they were the Cinderella, and they earned their way to the Elite Eight. First time in history that's happened in the tournament. And they did it basically by controlling the three games they won. They only trailed by six against Kentucky for a short period of time, went wire to wire against Murray State, and then trailed briefly by six against Purdue. It was a four-point deficit at halftime. And then with the guards they had, and the way they defended and the matchup problems they created with their versatile front line guys, being in games where it was a one-two possession type score allowed them to play to their strengths. And they played with great poise, made every big shot, did miss free throws, um, did all the things that championship teams will do. And uh, that's one of the great things about this tournament, as you all have watched it over the years. It never, ever fails to deliver. Never. The games are all, there's always something unpredictable. There's always great excitement. There are always great discoveries between the lines and outside of the lines. And it touches every aspect of the human experience in some form or fashion. When you talk about joy, sorrow, disappointment, beginnings, endings, um, families, friends, relationships, um, all of those elements that make up the human experience are embodied in that three-week run to a championship in some form or fashion. And that's why I think it resonates with our hearts. It touches us and reaches us, whether we're rabid fans, casual fans, whether we've got somebody performing in a band, whether our lump, whether our alma mater gets there. I mean, there are just so many um, tentacles of connection that make it really, I think, the most special sporting event on the calendar, quite honestly. So along those lines, what do you say to the people who say, St. Peter's, cute story, glad they didn't make it any further because when we get to that final four, we want the blue bloods there. Yeah, I understand that. And again, there's enough to like and debate throughout this three-week run to a championship. So I certainly understand that posture. I don't adhere to it. I think part of the magic sauce is the fact that you have stories like St. Peter's or George Mason in 2006, or VCU in 2011, or Ohio U, where our son played in 2012. They get to the Sweet 16 and almost beat North Carolina, losing overtime with the chance to go to the Elite Eight. Those are part of the stories that make it unique and special. I am excited, though, that we do have a power stacked Final Four, although Villanova comes in without one of its best oh, players. Yeah. That was devastating and heartbreaking to see Justin Moore go down as he did. And yet that culture, that championship culture, that Hall of Fame coach, those kids will rise up and compete at a high level. I don't think there'll be any question about that. You talk about discovering new things during the tournament. One of the things I discovered was that the school of St. Peter's even exists. Like I had never heard of yeah. it before. And I used right. to live in New York, like five miles away from this place. So wow. I'm wondering how you do the research on all of these teams that might make these like longer runs and, and you haven't watched a whole lot of their game during the regular season. Well, what I try to do just from the time they start practicing in late September, early October, and then once games start being played exhibition or otherwise, 
I'm trying to learn 100 teams. I'm trying to learn 100 teams by watching games. We have access to any game that's televised. So I'm watching Tennessee Chattanooga. I'm watching Long Beach State and Cal Irvine and taking notes. I got a book that um, I write notes in of just about every game that I watch. And I really emphasize the non-power conference schools in November, December, and January, as much as I watch the Dukes and the Big Tens and the Big East and the SEC. And so I have a pretty good handle. Um, St. Peter's came out of nowhere, so I had to do some – I was actually looking at Iona primarily from that particular league. Um, but St. Peter's came on the scene, and I had no idea they would do what they did. They were undersized, didn't have a dominant star. Um, defensively, they had been good. But nobody could have forecasted what transpired. And that's the other thing, the unpredictability of it, which is certain. And you just don't know where the surprises are going to come from. But you do know they will be there. Now, to the Final Four and and the Blue Bloods, and really to Duke and Coach K. So, you know, I've spent years, obviously, in a different sport, but talking about him, having him on shows, and, you know, and, and getting to know him a little bit. Talk about him from the basketball sense on why he's so good at what he's done and so respected at what he's done from a basketball player. Really, man, I tell you, I've had the chance to do games where Coach K has been coaching. I've been involved in some other places where he's been. I've had interactions with him. And the thing that really, really stands out to me, Mike, is how committed and serious he is about evolving as a leader. I think it harkens back to his training at West Point. That place and all of our military institutions develop leaders for life. And his leadership approach is, I think, the most remarkable thing about him because it goes to his willingness to learn, to evolve, to self-analyze, and look at how am I giving this group of players their best chance to be successful? What is the landscape in college basketball and where do I need to make modifications in my approach? What do I need to do? I just read an article in the last few days where he talked about his evaluation was of himself after they lost that game the last time he was going to coach at Cameron in North Carolina. And he went and looked at himself and said, I've got to do better and do differently with this group. And since then, there's been a joy, a mutual joy, a 360-degree joy between him and his players that I think is going to be part of what carries them to the national championship. It's a joy born of, of love for each other, love the players' love for each other, the players' love for the coach, the coach's love for the players, and also the freedom that comes when all you're thinking about is how can I gift somebody something that's going to make them really happy. And that's what those players, I think, are doing. And it's freedom up. I really believe it's freedom up from the narrative of you don't want to be the team to lose the last game of coach, this, that, and that. I think it's freedom up. And the confidence they've gained from playing and winning the way they did against Michigan State, the way they did against Texas Tech, and the way they won against Arkansas has fueled their confidence. Him as a leader is what stands out in evolving, ever-growing, effective leader is really the, I think, the secret sauce to his long-term success and having a place on the Mount Rushmore of all coaches, not just college basketball. I'm talking all coaches in terms of impact, influence, stature, 
respect success. Nobody has exceeded what he's done in terms of that. Can you can you give us your Mount Rushmore of coaches off the top of your head? Wow, that's a tough one. That's a really good one. It's like the debate with LeBron and MJ. I'm a, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a ride or die. I'm a ride or die guy with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. If anybody pushed me up against the wall and said, you only can pick one and make that your greatest guy, it's him. And it's not just the six MVPs and dominance at every level. It's also what he stood for off the court because he was the first graceful big guy I saw as a 10 or 11-year-old with UCLA being on television, reading about him. So he, be, I wore 33 throughout my playing career because of him. So that's my guy. When it comes to the coaches, K, you can't have a conversation about a list without him. You have to put John Wooden there. You'd have to put Bill Belichick in that category. I'm trying to think some other sports. Um, but I am actually, actually, I'm going to do that because I know that's going to come up. I'm going to come up with my list. And I'm going to diversify the sports. I'm not just going to do them. I'm going to look at some of, some of the world soccer coaches. There have been some great um, soccer coaches across. So I'll, I'll come up with a list of five. But those three, football and basketball, Vince Lombardi, you'd have to consider in there. Um, Eddie Grambling for what he was able to do as a – I mean, there are a number, but I'm going to come up with the list. But the, the thing I'm – the point I'm making is that he's on the, he's on the short roll call. Now, whether you elevate him to your GOAT, that's a personal call, but he's there's not a list that includes great coaches that he's not on it. It's interesting when when, when Smitty asked that question, I the first three that popped in my head were Coach K, Wooden, and Belichick. Wow, those, those were those are the first three that popped. That's in that, my that, that, that that's that marrying this yeah. education, man. That's it. So so Smitty, let me ask you, since you're you know decades younger than us, what what so where where does your where does your reach go to coaches? Yeah. Mine Great would point. just be all Homer picks. I would pick Muffet McGraw. I'd pick uh, <laughs> Newt Rockney. I'd pick. I just pick all the Chuck Knoll, Mike Tomlin. There, there's my four. Like they're all. Oh, wow, that's those it. Great, those are great names too. Absolutely. No coach K. I'm, I'm actually going to go through this exercise. I'd like to get a list of tweeted at five, us next five. Yeah, it'd be fun. That be fun. that is pretty good because you're right. There's so many sports out there that have had. Great coaches and and as you mentioned the, the great players and Kareem that you that you looked up to. So and speaking of great players, you get to work with a Hall of Famer in Charles yeah. Barkley. Now I got to know Chuck when I was with the Eagles. He was with the 76ers. Yeah. So we knew each yeah. other's back in the day as players. Dude's yeah. a trip. So is he like? I mean, I kind of know how it was way back then, but yeah. to work with him just just off off the cuff. It is an absolute blast, Mike. And the one thing I've always respected and admired about Charles, I think he's one of the most gracious, high-level celebrities and superstars you'll find. I mean, he's a huge celebrity, Hall of Famer, great, great personality, which is who he is. I mean, he's a naturally funny guy, as you well know. I mean, even if he wasn't the celebrity he is, the Hall of Famer, if you spent time with him, you will laugh. Your laughing muscles will get a workout <laughs> because that's who, I mean, he's just funny. And so all of that combined makes it a joy. And we have mutual respect. I mean, I was a couple of years ahead of him. And he's often said, as he was thinking about being a pro player, me, Adrian Dantley, and John Drew were the three guys he kind of looked at as kind of undersized combo forwards back in the early 80s. He always tells the story that Sonny Smith, his coach, gave him a tape. This is a kid in Leeds, Alabama, who played at Auburn, is watching me 
and Adrian Dantley and John Drew. John Drew's playing probably with the Jazz in the South. That's understandable. Well, from playing maybe with Atlanta before Utah. But nonetheless, Adrian Dantley's in the Midwest. I'm in Ohio playing for the – and that's those are the guys that he kind of looked up. So we've had a history from that. Then we competed against each other a little bit, and then obviously we worked together. But, man, he's a joy to be around. Him and Kenny and Ernie, as well as Greg and Seth. But Charles is unique. People ask me – as a matter of fact, if I had just a dime for everybody – every time somebody asked me how much – what's it like to hang out with Chuck, I, I could stop working. <laughs> I, could literally, I could literally stop working if that was the case. Is, have you noticed any difference in how you see the game versus how some of the other NBA guys who, who are used oh, to doing clearly. NBA analysis yeah. analysis? Oh, yeah, clearly, 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 Jess. And part of it is basketball is basketball, but the NBA game is different. High school is so much different than college. College and the pros, night and day. Mike could speak to that from, a, from an NFL standpoint. It's just not even close. High school is um, – it's high school. College is maybe an advanced degree. And then you get to the pros, that's PhD, doctorate stuff, when you get to that level. And so seeing the game from that level, all of the possessions, all of the intricacies, the quality of the players, the, what, what, what's a good shot in the pros would be a terrible shot in college. Pros are pros for a reason. They make hard shots. They do things that most people can't do. So it's fun how they like to bring some of that NBA flavor to And I have to check them on it sometimes. I have right. to check them. Now, these are different games. They want to always equate to the NBA. Well, this is not the NBA. These guys maybe can't do some of that stuff. These coaches may not see it. So we have we have some interesting, fun discussions and disagreements off air. And every now and then, even on air, something might be said where I just can't sit there and bite my tongue. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to call it out with my velvet gloves on and um, let them know they just can't get away with. But it's great fun. And, we love being together and, and talking hoops and, and doing what we get to do. All right, uh, Clark, we do appreciate the time. One more basketball, then I have a non-basketball. So the basketball one is easy. Who, who do you have winning at all? I got Duke. I just think they're in a position now, and I think they've got the best player remaining in the field, quite honestly, Paolo Bancaro. I think he's the best player, not just the best pro prospect. I think he's the best player at, at the collegiate level. His size, his ability to do everything, uh, his confidence. I love his passing ability. And then, um, so I've got them beating Kansas. I think Villanova is going to give up a lot more, is going to provide a lot more resistance than people think, even though they lost a key, key starter in Justin uh, Moore. I think these other guys, even though it's a short rotation, are going to rise up. And somebody in that non-playing group from Villanova is probably going to get some minutes and hold up pretty good. That first game after a key guy is lost, to me, is the most dangerous game for the other team. Because the guys that are shorthanded are really anxious to prove that we can get it done. And they sometimes play for that injured player. And that's a, that's a significant motivating factor. And that coach over on that sideline is as good as it gets in college, Jay Wright. There's, no, there's nobody any better than Jay as a, as a coach and tactician in college basketball. Uh, just hate it for Justin Moore and, and that yeah. Achilles. That was, yeah. just, that was just tough Brutal. to watch. All right, I'm going to ask this one, and I know Jess will have a follow-up on her particular one. Easter's coming up. Do you have a favorite candy, Easter candy? Probably candy corn, but my favorite, that, that's, just, that's just Easter candy. My favorite yeah. candy, if I had to choose just one, is licorice. Australian high-quality red licorice. That's Australian. Yes, yes. It's Kookaburra. They're different brands, 
but it's not it's not Twizzlers. Twizzlers is like a Krispy Kreme donut. It's kind of pedestrian. <laughs> it's kind of pe- it's kind of pedestrian. If you want to go to the platinum level stuff, you got to get the Australian. So I'm, did, I don't know if you saw me and Charles debate about these Krispy Kreme donuts, man. I went off on them <laughs> on the air. And it was hilarious. <laughs> He he was acting like Krispy Kreme was the was 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 the heaven of donuts. I just said mom and pop donuts where they fry them. Yep. That Chris, no national chain can compare to that kind of donut. Yep. And these guys were gassing up these Krispy Kremes, and that's to me Krispy Kremes is like Twizzlers. I mean, <laughs> if if you have to settle, that's okay. But if you want real licorice, I'm going. So that's my favorite candy, candy corn. If I picked an Easter candy, it would be the candy corn probably. Um, and then, then the licorice is my is my go-to when uh, whenever I decide to get some good candy. I didn't know there was Easter candy corn. I didn't well, I'm either. thinking Halloween and Easter together, basically. Oh. Okay. Well, that you can think. Of, what are your thoughts on Peeps? Uh, that's what we we need to know. Like the marshmallow Peeps. Marshmallow Peeps. What are those? I'll show you. They're like the little the little the little Peep like. Uh... The little marshmallow like Peep with their sugar coat. You've never seen these before? No. Let me see. Put it up there closer. Hold on, I'll take it out of the the package. Oh wow, this would be something if you've never had one of these. They're like little little bunnies. And they're soft. They're soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those I did like those, but again, actually, as good as licorice. I didn't have a favorite Easter candy. I actually like the eggs more than the candy around Easter time. I love the eggs. Yeah, every every candy tastes better egg shaped. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. I'll, I'll take the chocolate eggs over the regular eggs any day. Yeah. Oh, got God. Hey, Clark, man, really, really appreciate the time, your insight in basketball and candy. I, I, I got to try that Australian licorice now. I'm always, always up, up for a new. Yeah, I Look definitely up, will. Man. But we, we appreciate your time a lot, man. Thank you. My Great pleasure, talk Mike. To you. Great to be with you. Jess, nice to meet you, too. Keep him honest now. Jess, I'm telling you, Clark is such a good guy. He was such a great basketball player to watch through his career, especially when I was a freshman in high school and he was a junior. And then I got to watch his junior and senior year, just how great he was. And and he's a better person than he is a basketball player. I've always always admired what he has done. And uh, and we learned some things about him as well, even even outside the sports world. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know there were uh, tears of licorice. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Excellence, but uh, right now, Mike, I'm gonna go finish some of these peeps. I got this party cake flavored peep pack, which looks like it's like funfetti. Um, but I assume funfetti's trademark, so they went with party cake. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in on those next, and maybe I'll finish my hot tamales uh, in the meantime. I also got these chocolate strawberry dipped peeps, so maybe we'll try these. Oh my god, you're peeping out! <laughs> I'm a big fan of peeps. Wow. I, I think I'm going to actually finish the hot tamale fair cinnamon. I'm stunned at how good they are, but I'm going to eat them. You ate two before I even finished my first one. so I did. I, and, I, and quite honestly, during the interview with Clark, I had three more. <laughs> if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and New Hampshire. 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 
8778-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467-369 in New York. Visit OPGR.org in Oregon. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. 21 plus only. 18 plus in New Hampshire and Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. No results guaranteed. Void were prohibited. Eligibility restrictions apply. See www.draftkings.com slash sportsbook for full details. Odds and lines are subject to change.